Hello everybody, this is Ken Ferry with our first podcast for the 2016 cropping season. Been inundated today with uh, lots of calls about planting corn and the whole issue of uh, soil temperature and when should we start and how hard should we go after it. I thought first thing I would do is review a little bit uh, what we talk about in seed chilling. And seed chilling is what we're concerned about right now. Seed chilling will happen to seed when you put it in the ground when temperatures are below 50 degrees uh, and it really steps up at 45 degrees. So 45 degrees soil temperatures when we put that seed in the ground that first 24 to 36 hours when it takes on the water that imbibation period is the crucial period. If that water is cold 45 degrees it's going to have the potential to chill the seed and once the germ is chilled it can get disoriented. So be a lot of goosenecking and the mesocotyl will spin around the seed and may not make it to the surface. Which is kind of strange if you put it in the soil at 50 degrees or higher and we get the seed swelled and then the temperature drops and you may be in the ground for two weeks before it comes up, uh, it actually survives that pretty well. You have considerably less risk of seed chilling. So be thinking about soil temperatures that first 24 to 36 hours in the ground itself. That's where the problem is going to come from. So when we think about temperatures right now, we want to see where they maintain at least 45 degrees for the low, but preferably 50 degrees. So a situation where, um, you know, we, we just don't want them hanging down in the low 40s for most of the night. The forecast looks good. It looks like we're going to get there with a 10-day forecast. We're mainly in the, starting to see the 70-degree mark with 50s as a low. That's going to pull these soil temperatures up. But at this point, there is some risk. Now, remember, when we're talking about seed chilling, and I think customers get confused here, we're talking about uh, a small drop in our ear count. We're not talking about a disaster here. And... You know, it's a situation where if you're not going out there and doing stand counts and matching that up to ear counts on a yearly basis, you may never even know you're losing two to 5,000 to seed chilling. So it's a situation where it's not something you're going to see from the road. It's not something that you're going to even see side dressing if you don't stop, put a tape to it, and look at projected ear count compared to population. The industry standard is about 11% drop from planted population to ear drop. Here at CropTech, we're going to be pushing you guys pretty hard to stay in that 3 to 5% drop from your planted population to your ear count. Now, at that, uh, I have a lot of people tell me that's unrealistic. You can't reach that. And this may be so, but we have a lot of customers who do get to that 3 to 5% drop from planted to ear count. Uh, they don't do it in every field. They don't do it every year, but they do it pretty routinely. But to do that, we got to have a lot of things in place. We got to have good seed, good seed quality. We got to have a good seed bed for our preparation. We got to do a good job with that planter. We got to maintain our down pressure. We can't have too much. We can't have uh, too little. We got to have good closing wheels. We got to have a level planter. All those things we teach you about operating a planter. And one other thing that's going to be in there is soil temperature. So we've got to manage that soil temperature if you want to stay within that range. But for somebody who's not even taking stand counts, you know, you're probably not going to notice it. If you remember last year when we had the big drop in temperature on the 19th, 
about 90% of my service calls that we made on stand problems came in that eight-day window when those temperatures dropped where the corn got planted back into the cold soil. Corn planted before that and corn planted after it warmed up actually did pretty good. Our problems came in that eight-day window of the tough temperatures. Now, at the same time, the service calls we were making were on people that were doing stand counts, projected ear counts, that realized they were missing plants. If they weren't actually out there stretching a the tape, they probably wouldn't have noted. Now, in some of the fields that we checked last year, the difference between planting corn on Thursday before the temperature drop and on Monday in the same field after the temperatures did drop was about 18 bushel. But again, it was 230 bushel corn versus 245, 46 bushel corn. So it was not a disaster by no means. It's just that 5, 10, 15 bushel that could be hiding out there if you could pick up another two, 3,000 ear count. Now this year, of course, 10, 15 bushel may be a big chunk of the profit that we're looking at within it itself. Good news is, though, the forecast looks like it's moving in our direction. If we kind of uh, hold true to what the forecasters say, I would say to the south, our territory to the south is probably going to be in pretty good shape from a planting perspective already by um, maybe Friday, definitely Saturday, where the rest of the, um, you know, territory that we're working in, we're probably looking at by Sunday or Monday, we're going to be in pretty good shape uh, to hang on to uh, this seed. And remember, if we can hold it, uh, those temperatures, and we can get the soil warmed up, there's not a, it's not a direct correlation to air temperature and soil temperature. So it takes a few days for the soil to get warmed up and to stay up in the range we want. But once we're up in that range, one uh, cooler night doesn't take us out of that range. And the other thing to remember, we're talking about that first, again, 24 to 36 hours of seeds in the ground. If we can get it swelled and the temperature is going to dip for a few days, we're not going to have near as much trouble there. If you're going to push conditions uh, out there, our recommendation, of course, is going to be high quality seed. Make sure you got a good, solid, saturated cold germ above 85%. I would prefer to use a flat seed in that situation itself versus around in the field itself. But at the same token as a lot of guys are calling in, and I'm going to tell you, I'm a big proponent in getting your first day willies out of the way, meaning that if you've got ground that's fit and you've got a 30 or 40 acre field that uh, you can go set the planter in. And we've been working on planters here for two weeks, and I can guarantee when we go to the field, there'll be a clutch having trouble or something out there that's going to throw us back. So going out there and realizing you're giving up some potential, by planting into colder soils but you want to make sure these planters are ready to go i sure don't have a problem with that either uh, out there itself so scenario where um, getting that first day planting out of the way is probably not a bad idea but i think by uh, by the weekend and first part of next week i think we're going to have a green light to be able to run in a lot of different places from there i want to talk about working ground i want you guys to remember that 80% of the compaction problems that I'm out there dealing with in June and July are caused by that first pass with the field cultivator in the spring. So you want to do your homework here. If you're going to run that field cultivator four inches deep, I'm going to recommend you dig down to five inches, take that five inch depth, and see if you can ribbon it um, through your hand. If it's going to ribbon through your hand as you work between your thumb and your first finger, you're going to put in compaction. If it breaks off and won't ribbon, you're just going to have a density change in there. 
Um, so we don't want to give up the ghost here in a tight year like this and work fields that are too wet. And I know there's some areas out there where we're struggling to get it dried out. It's uh, fighting us from a moisture situation. Don't panic there and work the field when right now 40% of it's too wet. And then you're going to have to fight it itself. You guys that are running the vertical till tools out there, remember here in the spring we're going to take the angle out of them. We're going to run them straight so we don't put in any shallow compaction layers. We're talking about areas being wet. We also have the opposite, especially here to the south and to the west. We've got areas that are very concerned about lack of moisture. Um, these rains that have been coming through have been missing them. And when you're sitting there worried about the lack of moisture, here again, we want to couple those field cultivators close to the planter. Don't get too far out ahead so we lose all that moisture. I know there are quite a few of you guys that like to run your vertical till tools uh, on your bean stubble to kind of dry it out a little bit so you can get in there and plant earlier. In this dry area where we're starting to be concerned about moisture, leave those tools in the shed and just no-till right in the bean stubble. Don't let that moisture get away from you and, and be regretting it here in two weeks when we can't get this corn moving and we have rootless corn syndrome and those types of things. Again, um, different areas. We got anywhere from surplus moistures right now to we got areas that we're concerned about being dry. One last thing I'd like to touch on the podcast is the cutworm. The cutworm activity and our traps that we have in McLean, Macon, and DeWitt County has been very impressive. We start getting our biggest flights on uh, March 23rd, and it's been about every two days through that to our last big one was on April 12th. But these are pretty substantial flights where we're seeing 17, 18, 19 catch in a trap itself. So no doubt we will have to deal with cutworm, so I want you to be aware of that based on history as far as weather uh, heat units that we're going to see right now the models would project that cutworm feeding is going to start may 13th right now through may 16th would be the window when we're going to have to be on our a game and scouting for that itself even if you're using a fully traded uh, genetics out there you think that can handle it you still can't um, walk away from that you need to be checking those fields and making sure that we don't do a lot of damage before we get them killed uh, been a lot of guys have dropped insecticide entirely out there, and what I'm saying here is uh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to be on our on our scouting you know, windows and make sure that we um, catch this corn because this right now has the potential to catch all the corn that's going to be planted uh, is going to fall in that window where it would be susceptible. Now remember, not every field can have cutworm. Typically, these moths are going to be looking for habitat to lay their eggs. So these fields with a lot of chickweed and henbit, that's going to be the first place that they're going to be going into. Even if you kill it, spray it, and field cultivate it in, if that chickweed was out there from March 23rd through April 12th, pretty good chance it's loaded up with root, uh, cutworm eggs, and you, you're going to have to be scouting for it. For you guys that are no-till, you're going to carry a little bit higher risk out there because of the residue cover. Probably the highest risk, again, is going to be the cover crop. So you guys that are planting into cover crop, dead or alive, you need to be ready for the cutworm. Now, cutworm doesn't take much to kill. It's fairly cheap from that perspective. And you can throw some stuff in with your weed and feed if you want to take a preventive swipe at it itself. But we'll keep uh, posted. And we're, we've got the guys that are calling in your catches. That's a, a big appreciation for that as far as we're able to track this heavy flight in itself. Armyworm has been real quiet, but cutworm has been um, stronger than we've seen probably for five years now, I guess, 
as far as the amount of cutworm that are out there. So we, we're going to have to reckon with it. Don't have any trap calls coming in from up in the northern part of our territory, so I don't know if you guys are, forgot to check your traps or whether the counts are light up there. But right now the Macon, DeWitt, McLean County area has some pretty substantial catches. With that, I uh, hope everybody can get a good start on it, and I'll be back in touch with our second podcast next week.